Thanks for tuning in to the Living Grace in Today's World podcast, brought to you by Grace Bible Church in Georgetown, Texas. Our pastor, Dave Roberts, shares this message from the Bible about God's gift of grace and what it looks like to be people of grace in today's world. It is our prayer that you will see how different God's grace really is from everything else. Welcome to Living Grace in Today's World. Enjoy! Welcome and thanks for joining us today. Uh, My name is Dave Roberts. I'm pastor of Grace Bible Church in Georgetown, Texas. And this is the Living Grace in Today's World's podcast. And uh, I'm doing something completely different today. I have a special friend in town uh, visiting and I asked him if he would come on and uh, help me with this podcast and just let me interview him. His name is Evgeny Sologobenko and he is from the, the country of Moldova. Evgeny and I have been friends for about 18 years as I travel to Moldova each year and teach in the Moldova Bible Seminary where he serves as president. He also serves as pastor of Kishnev Bible Church. But I thought while he's here, uh, it would be uh, awesome for us to get a unique perspective on uh, what's going on in the country of Moldova, which borders Ukraine and Romania, uh, but also uh, just explore what's happened over the last generation in his country. So uh, with that little bit of introduction, let me ask uh, Evgeny if you would just give us a little bit of background of uh, how you were raised, uh, how uh, you came to know Kishnev Bible Church, and uh, how you came to know the Lord, and how you, what, where you serve right now. What are your responsibilities? Well, thank you, Dave, for a wonderful introduction. Uh, so I am... Uh, the results of American missionary work, so to say, in 1993, that's when I was uh, introduced to the good news for the first time through uh, a missionary that came out of Texas, out of San Antonio. Uh, I grew up in a fairly secular family. Uh, my grandfather was a celebrity in the Communist Party. Uh, he played Vladimir Lenin all his life. and. Uh, my mom and dad, uh, they were not religious. My dad took me to synagogue uh, from fairly early age, but it was more of a secular uh, get-together uh, for the Jewish people around the high feasts. Uh, so I did hear some Bible stories, but they didn't make sense to me until later. Uh, my mom, uh, at the fall of the USSR, eventually turned to Eastern Orthodoxy and got baptized uh, and dragged me into it. Uh, so in Odessa, Ukraine, uh, that's uh, at the age of uh, 12, I was baptized. Um, and I told her right before we got off the train uh, to go to the church that I don't believe in God. Don't have to believe in God to be baptized. I was like, oh, okay then. So that, that was her health care plan for me. Uh, in a sense, she felt like I was getting uh, too sickly as a kid. Right. And she needed somebody to, to look over me. But in 93, um, I was uh, about to graduate from high school. Um, I was an F student. Um, I spent a lot of time in the downtown bars of the city of Kishinev. Uh That's that time when the USSR fell apart and we felt like everything was sort of going um, in a wrong direction. And so I came to church to beat up a guy. The buddy of mine from a bar asked me to come and take care of a guy. And before I was able to do that, God spoken to my heart. Uh, I, I did have to go to church nine services in a row because I was looking for the guy. <laughs> but the Lord had really spoken to my heart through the church. Uh, so the way I put it is I became a Christian, um, November 28th, 1993. And then maybe a little while later, I heard the gospel presented again. 
made sense and February 20th 1994 that's when I feel where I really became a follower of Jesus when my value system has changed uh, I stopped wanting to kill anybody <laughs> and I wanted to to really just follow God well that's that's awesome and now you serve as uh, the pastor of the church where you is it the same church you came to beat up the guy it actually is yes <laughs> I started attending the church started serving uh, went to the Bible school that was started by the uh, American uh, missionary, and I was one of the first 20 to enroll. I was the third to graduate. I was actually competing for the salutatorian uh, with the pastor's son. Um, you know, that was quite, quite, a, quite a trip for me, but God has really drastically changed me. So by the time I graduated, I was already an associate pastor helping the pastor, and I was assistant to the president of the seminary who was the same person, by the way. But then in 2002, he went back to U.S. I led the elder group through the ordination process. Uh, we had eight candidates that eventually got uh, four of us ordained. And since 2004, uh, I lead the church as the teaching pastor and uh, lead the seminary as the president and the overall ministry in Moldova with uh, outreach and church planting. And I think my first trip to Moldova was 2005. And so I've been there about the same time uh, that you have uh, yes, as sir. far as uh, the ministry at, the, at Kishinev Bible Church and the Moldova Bible Seminary. You know, Moldova is in the news a lot these days, uh, mostly because it sits uh, next to Ukraine. In the American media, we get a, a, a healthy dose of Ukrainian war news these days. And so... I wonder if you could fill us in a little bit about what's transpired in Moldova over the last 15 months since the war began. Uh, how has it changed the culture? Maybe it was, it, it was different at the beginning of the war than it is now. And uh, just kind of help us understand a little bit, especially when it comes to Christians in the church in Moldova and how God has used it in this, in this time. I would basically emphatically state, yes, the church has changed in the last 15, 16 months uh, in a major way. There were some processes that were started uh, during the time, the years of the pandemic, but we've uh, seen an amazing response of the church toward the Ukrainian refugees. A couple of weeks before the events started to really unfold really quickly, we received uh, several phone calls, uh, text messages from friends in the U.S., who were very concerned about the apparent buildup of the troops on the Ukraine border between Russia and Ukraine. Uh, see, Moldova is geographically surrounded uh, from the north, east, and the south by Ukraine. So uh, we are one of the former USSR republics. Uh, we were dominated by Russia uh, since the times of the defeat of the Ottomans by Russians in uh, 1812. And so for Moldova, we had become aware that we would need to receive the refugees should Russians attack. And so when the attack happened on the 24th of February, we knew what we were going to do. Uh, the church, in fact, it just so happened, but we don't believe there's any coincidences with God. Uh, we got together with a group of about two dozen pastors, maybe a little bit more, just to pray, just to discuss of what uh, church planting and uh, outreach uh, is going to look like in the coming year. Uh, since we were coming off the, again, the pandemic situation, we decided just to eat lunch and pray. Uh, we didn't know that was going to be the morning that the Ukrainians are going to head to the border. We prayed, we ate, we tried to make joke, 
but you know it's kind of you don't really know know how to react but our ministry we told people like this is what we're planning to do we had a we had a plan the funds we were very overwhelmed and blessed by the american church and christians to be honest we haven't had to ask a single time people came and started uh, either sending the money or asking do you need the money and then basically uh, sending it as as, as um, they were asking we started serving the ukrainians immediately uh, within a week it became apparent that there is a very big risk of human trafficking i had a chance to go on the other side of the border on the ukrainian side where people walked for 20 miles mm. where people um, uh, stayed in the cars for 38 mm. to 40 hours waiting to cross the border mm. uh, mostly women and children and so when they got to the moldova side when they were trying to make their way through moldova because it's a small country land wise but it's kind of a choke point where you have to get two major border crossings and the one that we came to was the predominantly uh, we think about 75 percent of the people went through that crossing mm-hmm. We saw women and children that were trying to go uh, westward, and we decided that it's kind of our responsibility to create pathways for them to get to the final destination without being snatched by human traffickers. So as an overall, the church started meeting people on the Ukrainian side. We were allowed to set up a tent. It's uh, known as the orange tent. It can probably be seen in a lot of photos, a little Mm -hmm. orange spot on the Ukrainian Moldova border, we served people, we fed people, we gave them SIM cards, we prayed with them, uh, we provided hot meals, um, we did everything that was possible to help them find a, a transportation into the city, into one of the centers, so Christians would drive people uh, for free. As volunteers, uh, we eventually converted churches into the refugee centers. And then together, uh, they've also created a system where the buses were taking people to uh, further on in Europe, uh, around around Europe. So that kind of created a railroad to help get people into safety. Predominantly, you know, non-believers, but of course we try to help the church. But that changed the face of Moldovan church. The organizations and ministries that would take um, effort to get together into the same room, to work together, started serving and helping each other and sharing the resources uh, immediately. And that went on, uh, still goes on. It was a very grassroots, non-organized. Just the church leaders decided that we don't want to keep, keep a logo. We're just going to help people. <laughs> and that's brought the Church of Jesus Christ in Moldova today to a very, very new level of ability to cooperate with each other, mutual respect. And we continue to to move on, even though refugees is not the primary focus that we have right now. We all work with refugees, about 100,000 of them still remaining in Moldova. Mm -hmm. But uh, the church is now focusing on church planting, on reaching uh, Ukraine with the gospel, because when the war is over, they will definitely need a lot of help with church leadership. And then uh, we're also looking toward Europe. Uh, Eight million Ukrainians spread across the vast European continent. Two million Russians and probably as many Belarusians who have fled their countries. They're Russian-speaking. And nobody in Europe is uh, seriously uh, reaching out uh, to this linguistic group specifically or you know, ethnically Slavic people. So we are seeing ourselves as Moldovan church as how can we respond to this growing need. So, uh, and we're doing this as the Church of Moldova, non-denominational. We are, mm-hmm. you know, we all represent a variety of denominations, probably all of them, but it's a very strong inter-church movement. You uh, say that there's 
approximately 100,000 Ukrainian refugees still in Moldova. What's life like for them? I mean, do they find places to stay with friends, relatives? Is the church putting them up? Are they living in refugee centers? Is there still a crisis, in other words? Is the, is the war still producing crisis in people's life? The war is definitely producing crisis inside Ukraine. So when I mentioned 8 million Ukrainians who are out in Europe, we are also talking about uh, probably 50% or more of Ukrainian population has been displaced within the country. Mm -hmm. So the war for an average Ukrainian is still very much an issue. Uh, see the cities, uh, for example, uh, the city of Dnipro. Uh, it's a city that had about a million population. Uh, it was fairly industrial, uh, a well-off city. Uh, in fact, my grandmother was from that city, and I've visited it every year for, for many years as a, as a, as a kid. Uh, the mayor says there's 2 million people using the infrastructure built for 1 million people. So you can imagine there's not enough jobs. Mm -hmm. People are living with the relatives. The price of rent went sky high because that's mm -hmm. the only way some people can make a living. Sure. In Moldova, uh, people have uh, slowly moved away from the centers, especially before the winter when it became apparent that paying for heating of the centers is going to cost an arm and a leg. Uh, people were allowed to move to smaller facilities. So these are dorm-like type of uh, uh, facilities. Many are spread across smaller villages. Moldova is, a, uh, I would say, countries with the highest number of villages. We're less urbanized right. based on, uh, uh, or rural, we're very rural. And so many of these people live in small towns. Uh, they either rent a room. There are a couple organizations, my understanding uh, with the United Nations who help them pay for the rent. Mm -hmm. But as far as challenges, they are very limited with food. We still give out bags of food. Uh, mm -hmm. We're still caring for KBC. Our ministry in, in Kishinev has 250 families that we provide food for. We've got a church up north uh, in the town of Orhei that uh, we are providing for about 150 families and uh, there's at least 60 or 70 people there in a church service every Sunday. Right. Uh, They're Ukrainian, so there's actually a Ukrainian church there. And most of these people have been introduced to the gospel first time when, when they came to Moldova. But in Moldova, we are the poorest Eastern European country. People that left Ukraine, they're not in Moldova because we have a better quality right. of life. Right. They are definitely have taken a major hit. Uh, some of them have lost everything. We have people that are part of our network who... Their house was blown up in right. Ukraine. They got no place to go to. So they will more than likely be trying to figure out a way to stay. But Ukrainians are still feeling a lot of challenge. Mostly because, you know, men want to work, but there's no work. Right. They are trying to make a living. They're trying to be useful. But the country itself, before the war, was struggling with that. With a third of Moldovan population leaving the country in search, in search, search for jobs. So many of them are willing to go back home as soon as the danger of uh, bombings and, and the war is going to be over. Well, I know when I was there in January, you took me to Orhai. And attended, a, I think it was a Thursday afternoon service that they had, and it was all Ukrainians that were there that day. What struck me was that of the, I don't know, 80 people that were there, probably, I would say 90% of them were either female or children. And some of those women had lost their husbands in the war. Some of the conversations were they'd lost their husbands, but they'd also lost their home. And they really don't have anything to go back to. So I think sometimes... 
especially in America, we get a little insulated from the, the real human tragedy that is right on your doorstep. Geographically, maybe you can help us understand, uh, Odessa is the, the nearest big Ukrainian city to Moldova. Would that be true? Yeah, that's the largest Ukrainian city that's closest to Moldova. We also have Magilov Podolsky, which is a little bit further north. Uh, that's, uh, I would say it's large enough, but it's not as big as Odessa. Well, how far is it from Chisinau to Odessa? Well, uh, we better calculate not as bird flies, but, right. <laughs> by, but we have to go around a Transnistria area. That's so true. Transnistria is a strip of land separated from the mainland Moldova by the Nistor River, thus Transnistria, beyond right. Nistor River. Uh, they still are very pro-Russian. Mm-hmm. Uh, they uh, have some Russian military. Very limited. They're mostly guarding the stashes of old Soviet weapons mm-hmm. that nobody really knows what's there and <laughs> whether it's usable, but it's still under control of Russians. And so to travel to Odessa, you have to go further south for about two and a half hours inside Moldova. But once you get to the border, it probably will take you another hour or so after crossing to get into the main you know, Odessa proper. One thing that uh, Americans ask me when I come back from Moldova, and maybe you can help us understand this, is they ask, they ask me, how far away is the war? And so if you had to estimate, uh, as the crow flies, uh, because missiles fly the same way as a crow, <laughs> if you had to estimate how far is it from Chisinau to maybe the front where the, where the war is, how many miles would that be? If I were to guess, my, my best guess would be at least 350 to 450 miles away. Mm-hmm. The thing is that you know it was it got closer to mm-hmm. as as Mykolaiv was pretty much the border city that uh, was one of the few cities that was not taken over. But mm-hmm. uh, since the last counteroffensive in the fall, the border of the war has been moved away from us to the Dnipro River. Mm-hmm. So, um, but majority of the fighting that you're hearing about today, mm-hmm. that's actually even further. We're talking about 750 miles probably yeah. away from us. So it's not, I mean, Ukraine is a large country. Yes, yes. You know, their front line, I think we're talking about a thousand miles long uh, mm-hmm. front line uh, of, of between Russia and Ukraine. Right. So we're, we're talking about huge space. You right. know, it's not like a localized small conflict right. uh, with, with couple, within a couple hours drive. Right. It's, a, it's, it's fairly far away. One last thing for this this episode. What is the attitude of Moldovans? In other words, are they fearful? Are they nervous? Maybe has that changed since the war began? Do they feel a little bit more secure now that the war has worn on so long? Well, even yourself, how have you progressed through this last 15 months? And what is the general feeling of Moldovans? Are they looking to leave the country at a moment's notice? Or do they feel really good about how the war is going, that they're safe? Well, originally, when the whole thing started, uh, within a day or two days, we packed our bags, put all the valuables, and we created, within literally 24 to 48 hours, primary bag, secondary bag. We've created pathways, routes of uh, how we're going to be leaving Moldova, because we were pretty much sure that should Russians take over Ukraine, they will seize Moldova as well. Moldova wouldn't be able to put up a fight like Ukraine did. We, did. we don't have a strong military at all. We're a neutral country, according to our constitution. And we're not neutral because we are capable. We're neutral because we got nothing to, to fight with. <laughs> and so uh, we lived with this thought of we're here meeting for the last time. Uh, we said goodbye several times to each other as uh, leaders in the, in the office. Uh, even now, my wife has a bag. She knows 
if Mikolai falls and Russians are beginning to fight for Odessa, she knows where to meet me on the Romania side. So most Moldovans would, uh, would be gearing up to leave. There's still a good group of Moldovans, I guess, that are still pro-Russian. Uh, it's very hard to explain other than the propaganda, uh, the TV channels that they're watching that are predominantly Russian-speaking. They are all been spewing propaganda, dehumanizing Ukrainians for um, years, for eight years, since 2014 and even probably prior to that. Uh, today, Moldova is safe from a physical military incursion uh, by the Russian military. I think most Moldovans realize that. Right. Uh, we're still prone to propaganda. They're, they're trying to create uh, instability because Moldova has been moving toward the Western world, uh, requesting join European Union, receiving candidacy status. In fact, on Sunday, May 21st, we're going to have a major gathering that the president of our country, she called for the national gathering basically asking people, would you show up and show support for the European values? Uh, everybody's kind of looking out forward to this event because it's not the event where every protester gets paid 20 bucks, right. which this is what's been happening. When you're hearing, when you're hearing in, in American news, there is protests in Moldova that are anti-government. Just realize whatever you see in that picture, first of all, the picture always shows you more people than there is. There's good photographers know how to show you a photo crowd that has 10 faces in it. Right. But then if you look from the bird's eye, like from the drone, right. it doesn't look very impressive. In <laughs> fact, there's cars that are driving behind and right. life is normal. It's the same thing as every one of those people have been, been paid $20 or more to be standing there and protesting right. by the oligarch who's been sentenced to prison. Right. But uh, on the 21st of May, Moldovans will step up and all of them are going to be willing volunteers standing up and saying, I'm, I may join it. Of course, we have a church, so I don't know if I'm, how much I'm going to be able to do that. But I know like, there's a lot of us that are going to come and say, you know, we're pro-Western. We, 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 we value democratic values, uh, human life, you know, whatever the democratic societies bring. So Moldovans are not as much fearful of the military incursion. We're still fighting the hybrid war that is uh, waged on us by Russians. You know, I think Americans sometimes don't understand... Uh, what happened when the communist and Soviet Union fell and they left Moldova. I think there's a, a feeling here that they just all be embraced freedom. They all embraced the new way. They all embraced the loss of communism. It's kind of like change had finally come and they're free, free at last kind of thing. But there's been an internal tug of war ever since. I always say Moldova is where East meets West because you have the Eastern pull of Russia which is still very strong in Moldova, but then you have this growing European pull. And sometimes in these past couple of decades, you would, you would elect communist leaders even, or pro-Russian presidents, and then you would elect pro-European presidents. Do you see the West now kind of predominant in Moldovan, not just politics, but just in the mindset of the culture? Well, I think that so many Moldovans, when there was a visa-free travel initiated between European Union and Moldova, so many Moldovans traveled to the West. And when you experience the mm -hmm. life of freedom, mm -hmm. uh, yes, you regret that the taste of the childhood ice cream is not the same anymore. Right. right? When people talk about the USSR and they have these regrets and they want to... Uh, you know, go back mentally there. In fact, the older generation, that's them. Yeah. They talk about USSR as if this was like the best time in the world. But we all know that, like I said, you know, lemonade right. tasted more, lem uh, 
you know, with more lemon when you were a child. So right. Ice cream was much more vivid than you're, you're, you're eating it today. Right. All those positive experiences that you had as a child. So we have a saying uh, that anybody who doesn't regret the fall of the USSR doesn't have a heart. Mm. But every, anybody who is w wanting it to come back doesn't have a brain. <laughs> because Moldovans have traveled. They have seen the West. Right. They have seen the freedoms. They have seen respect for the human rights. They have seen the freedom of speech. They want that. And so now we actually, the last election, when we predominantly voted in the pro-Western president, the pro-Western party, a lot of that has been done by the Moldovans who migrated. Mm -hmm. And we're saying there was as many as 250,000 votes that came in from the embassies of mm -hmm. the Moldovans who are saying, you know what, we may want to come back to our country, but we don't want to come back to this hybrids uh, country that doesn't know who they are. Right. We want to come back if it becomes what we see here in the West. So the new younger generation is definitely sees their future in the West with the West. And then that's where, where the whole country is leaning. Well, I appreciate uh, your willingness to be with us today on the podcast, Evgeny. And uh, we're going to do another episode and we're going to talk a little bit more about grace and and truth and what God's doing in the Moldovan church. But I appreciate all this background on uh, Moldova and the war and kind of where things stand right now uh, very, very much today. So, And thank you all uh, for joining us today on uh, the Living Grace in Today's World podcast. We do hope that you've enjoyed this episode today. If you'd like to learn more about Grace Bible Church in Georgetown, Texas, please visit us at gbcgt.org. Many blessings from our church family to yours.